Hello and welcome to Know Your True Self, a show dedicated to raising the consciousness of humanity. I'm James. Hey there, I'm Samantha. And thrilled to have you back on our next episode of Know Your True Self. This is part two of self-awareness. Yes, welcome to the show. We talked about a lot last time. We went over space, time, consciousness, how we got here. And today we're going to get a little bit more into the human experience and how we as people experience self-awareness. That's just the ability to observe our own thoughts, actions, behaviors. So um, let's jump into it. Yeah, so self-awareness and just its evolution in humans, you know, we're we're not brought into this world self-aware. We're pretty much helpless and we're one of the few species that actually is helpless. We have to have our backpack so we can burp and our bottom wipes for all that other jazz. But (laughs) we become self-aware around the age of two and you know if a child's self-aware because of something called the mirror test, if you're familiar with it. If you put a child that's before the age of two or less than 18 months in front of a mirror, they don't recognize that as themselves. It's just a figure in the mirror. They are not the object of their own observation. So when they reach around the age of two, there's this test where you can put a little bit of the lipstick on their face And if they see themselves in the mirror, they immediately go to touch the lipstick. And they're like, what is this on my face? And they have become the object of their own observation. And being the object of your own observation, yes, that's the tipping point, the starting point of self-awareness. But it's really a skill that needs to be nurtured and developed throughout one's life if we want to find more peace and joy in it. Yeah, just knowing you exist and being able to wave to yourself in the mirror doesn't really cut it. As you grow grow into adulthood, you kind of have to evolve beyond that. But, you know, feel free to try it. (laughs) (laughs) See if I pass. Yeah. And as much as self-awareness, you know, there's a human uniqueness behind it, which is quite beautiful. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But, you know, there are other animals. There are other creatures that are self-aware because normally when you think about everything that exists, whether it's the plants, the animals, there's definitely this unconscious intelligence that's running through them, guiding them. A chipmunk all of a sudden doesn't say to himself, oh man, I want a new career path. I'm going to become a dolphin. (laughs) There's a pretty defined script within their lives that they're following all the time. But there's also animals that have higher thought and The higher thought isn't to the level of humans, but chimpanzees, if you put a mirror inside of their cage or you do an experiment with them in the wild and put a mirror out there, they'll walk by it for a while and just sort of take it as like, oh, what is this thing in here? But then they become a little inquisitive and start checking themselves out and they've become the object of their own observation. Dolphins, highly intelligent creatures, uh, killer whales, Asian elephants, Even if you have a pet, I mean, you grew up with a lot of dogs. Do you think they were self-aware? No. (laughs) They're three pugs. They were not very self-aware. Now, there are some dogs that do have a little bit more evolved brains than a pug, right? And you might see them sort of giving that little, like, you know, curiosity back and forth with the ears perks, but might be identifying that there's a dog in the mirror that could be them. Or I remember I had a cat and she would put her paw against the mirror and bat the cat on the other side of the mirror. Might be a little self-awareness in there. If you watch The Octopus Teacher, which we absolutely loved. It was so cool seeing the relationship and the interaction develop with the octopus. And you could truly tell they had a genuine friendship and she recognized him and just that intelligence to know she was being recorded. And 
That was a beautiful story. Yeah, and they do have a level of self-awareness. And there's also, too, this interconnected bond that we all share. We're not segmented species on this earth. It's the diversity of all of this working together, which makes it so beautiful. So needless to say, all these different dimensions of consciousness and self-awareness are all beautiful expressions of this one big thought. We talked about consciousness being that one big thought. And this, that's why maintaining the balance in this ecosystem is so precious because that consciousness and the connectedness of that consciousness and bringing balance into that consciousness is what creates harmony on the planet that we live on. This is like a microcosm of consciousness on, on planet Earth. So protecting that diversity is, is crucial to our own balance. And then when we bring ourselves into balance, we help bring the world into balance. Other creatures are just doing it intuitively, but it's a little more complex being a human. It's sometimes feels like we're just like wading in water without really a clear sense of direction. And yet all these other creatures just know what they're supposed to be doing all the time. And they're just, you know, flocks of birds know they're supposed to fly um, south in the wintertime. So these things are just intuitive for them, but we've lost that sense of intuition somehow along mm. along the years. Right. We have to wait till we're senior citizens to realize we have to migrate to somewhere warm. Yes, right? <laughs> go to Florida. But let's talk a little bit about human self-awareness because it's truly a gift and truly remarkable and it comes with a little bit of a blessing and a curse because when you think about human self-awareness and the other animals Samantha was talking about, you know, the intuitive nature of a school of small fish to look like one giant fish and become one connected consciousness to fend off a probable predator is quite remarkable but here we are on planet earth and we've been given the opportunity to partner in creation and partnering in creation is pretty wild when you just look at the world around you and everything that we've achieved yeah i mean how do bridges get built and buildings get made it's insane that everyone even though we've lost our sense of intuitive connection to like source energy we still somehow all have a role in society that's extremely meaningful and everyone is born with natural given talents that contribute to this larger ecosystem that we share and we marvel at the jobs that certain people do it's it's pretty incredible yeah the diversity within humans the talents and how we express our self-awareness how is there just enough doctors to have a healthcare system how are there just enough construction workers to build all of these things how is there just enough the list goes on and that's why it's important to remember that no human talent is more or less important than another. We, like every other creature, rely on each other to maintain this ecosystem. So it brings us back to how did we get here to the point where we have all these marvelous innovations, we've created so much, we've transformed all of these natural resources, and really it's attributed to is the size of our brain, which brings us to a little bit of a conversation about a difference between the brain and a mind because I think there's some confusion about that sometimes and you know when you think about a brain a brain is this organ right it's in my head I can feel it when I have a headache um, you know it weighs like what like three and a half pounds they're relatively the same in structure if they're healthy brains but they have some functional elements that makes them unique whether they have dominance in the left brain or their right brain and some of the fixed traits and personality types but on the other hand, you have the human mind, and the human mind is, like Samantha said, it's our source connection, right? That's what's connecting us to universal intelligence. And the mind is what gives life 
to us. And even when you think about being born, we don't form around a brain, we form around a heart. So there's a reason love exists in our heart because that's our true source connection. That's our connection to that universal intelligence. And there's some beauty in that, that we're not just a thinking machine, we're a feeling machine. And have we always had, like you're describing, there's a brain and then there's a mind. Has it always been that way or was there a turning point in human? Because you look at, you know, primal humans and it's it's hard to know if there was just a brain or if there was a brain and a mind. But I don't know, was there a turning point in history where those two things started to splinter off? Yeah, or? definitely. And I guess to start this, it's almost like think of the brain as this big antenna and the senses allow us to take information from the outer world and decode it there's actually a little bit of a lapse in time before like if i taste something or i see something there's a delay before i have that experience it's only a fifth of a second you don't notice it but we're actually on delay from the outer world but the tipping point for humans you know we have a few different parts to our brain from a macro standpoint we have our primitive brain which is like that pure instinct, sometimes it's called the reptilian brain. Then we have our mammalian brain that allows us to have, you know, nurturing relationships, social skills, emotions, and, and there's a lot of other mammals that have mammalian brains. And then finally, we have our cerebral cortex or our thinking brain, which takes up the majority of our brain. And that is the key differentiator is that antenna is like soaking in so much from the outer world that we're able to have all of this higher thought and our self-awareness is really able to have all these like rich critical thinking and decision-making skills. That antenna reminds me of, you know, sometimes when you wake up from a weird dream and you're like, how did I even think of that? How did, <laughs> I've never had that experience before and I couldn't make that story up if I tried. How could I even think of that? And it makes you wonder if as you describe that antenna, if you're just pulling down information from this like collective thought bubble, as you've described it, and those thoughts may not even be your own. Yeah, and there's been a lot of research that's been done just on the ability for people to have dreams and thoughts and emotions that they've picked up from the consciousness that people in their apartment building are having, living in next door, because every thought that we have is energy and energy doesn't just release from us and sort of ripple out and fade away that signal keeps moving through space and time just like the signals we look for from extraterrestrial life out in the universe all of these signals just last forever and continue to vibrate through the universe as part of this larger collective thought you know you always hear about your thoughts are important and watch your thoughts they become your words they become your actions whatever that saying is but when you realize that it does kind of stick in the energy system forever, <laughs> it makes your thoughts a lot more important than just to you alone. So kind of keep track of your thoughts because they can run wild sometimes. Brings us to a good part in the discussion about just why am I having these thoughts? Because we talked about sort of that intuitive nature that a lot of animals have. They're, they're living moment to moment. We talked in the first episode on self-awareness about the moment, if you can live in the present moment and appreciate the present moment, that's where you experience feelings of enlightenment or you become in the transcendental state. So we have these three components of our brain, but they weren't always there. 
So one of the biggest turning points for us as a species was when we were able to harness the energy of fire and not just to keep us warm, but also to cook food. And when we were able to start cooking food, we were absorbing more nutrients and that you know doubled, almost tripled our brain size. And that's what's led to these like disproportionately sized domes that we have as, as humans, you know? The ability to absorb all that energy allowed us to create a lot that we talked about, all the things that we marvel at from innovations, but the biggest innovation and the innovation that really created the split between our true self, that natural connection with universal consciousness to have all of these other thoughts running through our mind was the development of language. And the development of language has been unbelievable. It's allowed us to share stories, history, connect as a species, really without language we wouldn't have been able to achieve any of this like language was like the og innovation which is really cool <laughs> the first technology the first technology but with it became a huge challenge because there was a point where we're just walking place to place nomadic lifestyle small tribes and you're in the moment whether that moment is fighting against a wild beast that's out in nature, protecting yourself from storms, trying to forage for food just to get by to the next day. There wasn't thought going on in there. There was just a lot of instinct and tribal connections through that mammalian brain that were driving those emotional intelligence you have. And you can see the emotional intelligence running through animals. It, it exists within them, that mammalian brain. But then when our brain grew so big and we had language, then all of a sudden, we began having conversations with ourselves. What happened on the last hunt? What we're going to do tomorrow? And that was the birth of thought. And that was the birth yeah. of thought. Thought planning, reflecting, liking, disliking, judging. And it's interesting. It kind of makes me think about just how cautious we have to be about innovation. Because while one thing is made easier, another thing is inevitably made harder. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like with thought what a beautiful thing in conversation and language, but then look at, you know, how busy our minds are today. Similarly, you know, with the phone, we were all like so amazed with our Blackberries or the first phones that came out, but now we're tethered to email 24 seven. So there's always a trade-off with innovation and we need to be careful not glorifying innovation and being cautious about how much we receive and how much we truly need. Right, because even this language is somewhat of an organic innovation. This was the agenda of universal consciousness to give us this gift, but that gift severed the connection with our true self and within it, it's like, yes, I think therefore I am, I think therefore I am, and it's this wonderful experience. And then if you look at us in life, it's like, but who am I anyway? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can't get these thoughts out of my head. It feels like I'm just getting more deeper, deeper entrenched in them. and. The majority of what we do in life is, is unconscious. We're not aware of the things we're doing. And, you know, I've seen research up to 95%. And the reason that the majority of us is still connected to the source unconsciously is because we're not telling ourselves right now to breathe while we're talking. We're not telling ourselves that now is the time you need to eat. Our stomach lets us know that. We don't get a cut and stare at it and say, like, please heal, please heal. You know, like, <laughs> you might be. You know? But the reality is there's an unconscious intelligence. And even the brain, since consciousness works through the brain, the brain relies on habits and habit formation. So if you've ever driven home from work and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm here already. 
you've driven that route so many times, there's an unconscious intelligence driving you home. You know, you might not be fully aware the whole time, but you are. You're just unconscious doing it. Even the routines that you have from taking a shower to brushing your teeth, it's all unconscious. It's somewhat become intuitive in your life. So we have this 5%, which is choice. And that 5% becomes very precious to us because in this 24-7 connected world, we can easily become unconsciously absorbed in everything that's going on. And all of a sudden, that gift that we have, which is we talked at the beginning about the mirror test, has become the object of your own observation. Rather than observing our thoughts before we act on them, rather than us identifying where these thoughts are coming from, we're living in the impulse zone. <laughs> and the impulse zone is a dangerous zone. And we become unconsciously directed by all of our own creations that we've lost sight of the nature of our own existence and that observation of thought. So digging deeper into the unconscious mind, because it is something so important, and obviously we want to be able to raise our level of consciousness. We want to be able to operate and function at a high level of that 5% and not give it all up to technology. But really the unconscious mind starts developing during early childhood experiences at a really young age from zero to two everything around you from a cellular level everything that's happening with the conversation your parents are having the stress level of the mother are all having an unconscious effect through the cellular development and that cellular development is happening with the assistance of universal consciousness like biology we know how cells combined to form organisms but we have no idea what makes them form into the shapes and diversity within nature including the human body <laughs> you know like we we can't explain that that's divinely inspired once the brain forms the brain is operating at a very very low brainwave state a delta wave delta wave is deep sleep they're like a big sponge so everything that's coming in this is their time to sort of decipher the world, start to program the brain and get a bearing on the world around them. Reminds me of my nephew who's about four and a half months old. He basically just sleeps, eats, you know, starts to laugh here and there. You can tell he's just soaking it all in. And that laughter, another practice that's extremely important with children is facial mimicking and positive facial mimicking that helps develop their social and emotional skills. So children without that positive facial mimicking of smiling of laughter of love that can also lead to antisocial personality disorders later in life so extremely formative time even as we get older and we start to become self-aware our self-awareness is there but we don't have really strong decision-making skills it's why you can't keep a two-year-old to a six-year-old working in a job they're in la la land <laughs> but what's beautiful is their brain waves operating at a, a theta state the thing about being in a theta state is, as a child, you're extremely, extremely impressionable. So, you know, during this whole time, you're looking for the six, first six years of your life, and you're being unconsciously programmed in a lot of ways that everything that you hear is truth, is absolute truth. And you sort of see it in children, you know, as they're growing up. It just makes me think of how we all come into adulthood with this you know, different childhood experience and there are certain beliefs that we hold on to and it's hard to even know where they came from. But 
just reflecting on those, a lot of those are formed in early childhood and we just accept those things as fact and just operate off of that script late into life without really taking the time to pause and say, is this even working for me, this script that I'm holding on to? Yeah, and that script becomes so deeply ingrained, those core memories, it's sometimes hard to observe that within yourself and seek truth because within those memories, yeah, there's certain things that we grow out of and we find the truth. You know, I remember when I was young, my dad told me that uh, the Boston Garden where the Celtics played was built on top of a garden. And I, I believe that to be true for like, I don't know, a couple months. But, <laughs> but I, I grew out of that, right? I, I found the real truth, the real meaning. But there's other traumas that we hold on to. If someone's telling you that you weren't wanted and you're never going to amount to anything in your life, that is a deep-rooted memory that as you go on in life and there's a trigger point for it, it's going to come up like a scratched record replaying over and over in your mind throughout life. And that's why addressing childhood traumas is so important. You know, we have all of these experiences that come up all of the time that impact our perception of the world. And because of that, we all see the world through very filtered lenses. And those filtered lenses continue to develop as we get older. It's fascinating just thinking about how, if you just look at a stranger in a coffee shop and just think about how they see the world, or if you have a friend or a family member, it's like everyone sees the world, like you said, through these unique lenses. And even just trying to put yourself in that person's headspace can be so challenging because you really have no idea what they've been through and how they see things and what they're actually thinking. Growing up and my interest in psychology and the mind and behavior, I have always just wondered what it would be like to have the experience of being inside someone else's consciousness and getting a feeling of what that operation feels like because to us, it's so clear. We're right, we're righteous, we have our beliefs. How could anyone believe anything any, any other way? But you almost have to have just a ton of empathy for everybody else because you have no idea what they've been through. You've had no idea the experiences they have. And before you judge anyone, just take a look at yourself and say, how can I be a better person? Because we get so caught up in the associations you have with the place you were born, where you grew up, the education you had, the jobs that you've held, all of my activities, all of my hobbies. And then now even more so, there's all the brands that I like. That helps form an identity around me. So now we have these other labels and all the possessions I have. That personal identity, what I identify with, then continues to build even more walls. Then you have also too this sort of tribal identity and the tribal identity you talked about family. It's like, well, you're growing up in these environments, so you're going to abide by sort of the rules of that family as long as you can before you get in trouble for sort of trying to break the chain, right, or go your own way. And then there's other things. You have religions, your race, your culture, politics builds even more walls around us. And then all these other group affiliations that we just have. So we sort of see the world through these filtered lenses and then based on these other experiences that we have, we build these walls around us and all of a sudden our self-awareness still exists but has become blocked in a lot of ways because all of these things that we think we are, they're just components of our unconscious mind. 
It's interesting how we gravitate towards those associations so much. And sometimes it can be hard to even let go of them. If you think about someone that's going through the process of retiring, how hard it is if you've been like a teacher for 30 years, how hard it is to release that identity, to release that label and all the teachers you've worked with and the students and how much you identify with that profession to just let it go is extremely scary. And it's interesting how these associations bring us almost a temporary comfort, but they also become a bit of a block to deepening our self-awareness because you are not really a teacher. (laughs) You are so much more than that. Your energy is completely boundless and ever expansive. And you're not defined by your career or you know the sports team you you follow or where you fall politically, uh, your interests. You're really not any of that stuff. Right. And what you're really defined by is the level of consciousness that you navigate life through. So let's talk now about some helpful tips that we can use moving forward after this podcast episode. I think the first one is every time a thought arises from your mind, just recognize that that's not my true self. The unconscious mind is here to protect you and it's always gonna put you in a state of judging, comparing, liking, and disliking. That's why we love social media so much. That's why we're so addicted to it. But those thoughts that are generated from your mind is not your true self. The power is through observation. You are the one that has the ability to observe those thoughts. So when you do get a non-accepting thought, that comes into your mind, just ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I? Am I this thought or am I the person that's going to observe this thought? In meditation, they say that when a thought comes up, you just take note of it. You're like, huh, that's interesting. And then let it just float away. (laughs) You know, just kind of be a passive observer of these thoughts. Try not to also get angry at yourself for like, oh, why would I think that I should be more of like my true self? Like, why would I, I'm so stupid? You know, <laughs> that's not the point to get mad at yourself. Um, just let, let the thought pass and don't give it too much power energy because then it can snowball, you know, to something much bigger. But aside from that, we talked about we're always tapping into this collective energy system. So sometimes thoughts or emotions might be triggered for you that may not even be your own. And with that, the importance of your thoughts and the energy that you put out is great because that is living forever in the collective intelligence it's natural to have thoughts generated from your mind that are non-accepting it's very natural and it happens all the time but every time that you have a non-accepting thought about the weather another person what's going on in life take time and immediately look for something to appreciate about that situation, to appreciate about that person. Look for the beauty in that experience and what that experience is affording you because there's an opportunity in everything. And when we start to find the opportunity in everything and we start to observe our thoughts, we start to quiet our unconscious mind. And that's why meditative practices are so important because you know, at the beginning when you start meditating, why am I even doing this? Why am I even doing this? This is such a waste of time. That's your unconscious mind playing tricks on you. You got to silence that guy, find your inner peace. And the more you practice and the more you practice thought observation throughout the day, it becomes so much more easy to navigate life and get through some of these challenging circumstances that we have as humans on earth. We also talked today about tribal association. So just take a couple minutes to reflect on 
those associations that you hold dear either personally or with other people and do you pass judgment on people who have differing views from you like different things than you do yeah and if the groups that you belong to are throwing out too many destructive energy waves it's probably not the right group for you and that's okay there's plenty of people out there that are sending out constructive frequencies and we can be in harmony like all these other creatures are it's just we gotta we gotta put in the work it doesn't come natural for us that's the the tale of two minds <laughs> and then the other thing we talked about was just your childhood experiences and you know what happened to you as a child maybe do some journaling to just think about what comes up for you during that early stage of life you know two to six is an extremely formative time are there any thought patterns or experiences that you're still holding on to and reacting to because you can change that through practice and work. You can change anything that was set in in the beginning. Great. A lot to think about. A lot of things to put into practice. Thank you so much for joining in. Always remember you have a choice. Take an active role in your evolution. Know your true self.